welcome to Big Happy Life, the show that's all about making conscious choices about your habits so that achieving your goals becomes easier and more fun and you feel happier along the way. I'm your host, Natalie Britt, and today we're talking about rewards and judgment, specifically in relation to habits, of course, because this episode forms part five of six of the Goals and Habits series. This week, we're looking at the importance of feeling rewarded when you start a new habit or stop an old one. And we're also looking at what happens when you have those inevitable slips. It seems the harder we are on ourselves, the worse we do. So we're going to talk about that and some strategies for making sure that even if you have a slip, you can get right back up and carry on again. Of course, to minimize the number of slips you have, the best thing to do is to make sure that the new habit feels as rewarding as possible. And so that's where we're going to begin. If you're a regular listener to the podcast, you already know about the rider and the elephant. But a quick recap for those who don't know about the rider and the elephant. The rider is your conscious mind, the elephant your subconscious mind. The rider is logical, much slower in thinking, much more deliberate, and most of us think the rider is in charge. The elephant, far more powerful, far faster, taking care of all subconscious processes and all the beliefs and everything that underpins what you believe to be logical thought. So when we talk about rewards, we're talking about rewarding the elephant. But generally what we tend to do is when we set up rewards, we set them up as a reward for the rider. So I'm going to go to the gym and then I'm going to buy myself that new top. Or when I get to my goal weight, I am going to book a holiday. These types of rewards make perfectly logical sense, but they aren't enough for the elephant. Because although the rider understands delayed gratification or waiting for the reward, the elephant is far more concerned with feeling rewarded in the here and now. It doesn't like waiting. So these rewards on their own aren't always enough to keep you motivated. There's a much slicker, much easier way to do things. And probably a bit cheaper too. For the habit to feel rewarding, you need the elephant to associate it with pleasure. Or at the very least, to not associate it with pain. Let me give you an example. Let's say you decide you want to get fit. So you join a gym and the plan is that you're going to go first thing in the morning before work. Your normal time of getting up is seven o'clock in the morning. So now you have to get up at half past five to allow for a one hour workout, plus the time it takes to get there and get dressed and then get showered afterwards and all of that stuff. So you've gone from seven o'clock wake up to 5.30. That's probably gonna feel like a pain barrier. Then you've got your workout to do, which of course isn't necessarily going to go as you would love because you're new to it and probably won't be as good at it as you'd like to be. Plus, you wouldn't necessarily get that lovely hit of endorphins if you're not fit enough to push through the barrier that causes them to release in the first place. So that lovely rush people talk about from exercise might not happen for you for the first few weeks. Another pain barrier. Then there's everything that goes around the habit. Are you going home afterwards? Are you going to be in a massive hurry because... You haven't got the amount of time left you would normally have to get ready in the mornings. Or are you heading straight from the gym onto your office, which means now you have to have a shower at the gym and that means you have to carry all your stuff with you. Maybe you're still a bit sweaty when you have to get dressed for work. You just can't run the rest of the morning the way you would like because everything else is being affected by slotting in this one hour for going to the gym. Another pain barrier. Let's say you manage to keep it up for three, four, five days, maybe a couple of weeks even. But then you wake up one morning, it's dark, it's cold. And all of those pain barriers flood your mind and you think, oh, I could just go back to bed just this once. So you do. The next morning, another pain barrier is that now you're out of the routine. So you have to fight that little hurdle too, on top of all the other ones. So you get the idea. All of these things gradually build up and the elephant basically says, do you know what? This isn't fun. I don't want to do it anymore. I want to lie in my bed. It feels very nice here. Please leave me alone. 
and a few weeks after starting what looked like a really good new habit, you're right back where you started. Now, self-help literature is full of quotes like, if you really want to do something, you'll find a way. If you don't, you'll find an excuse. And to some extent that's true, but I think it's also a little bit too blunt. Because I think some of the ways we go about these things give us so many excuses to choose from, it's hard not to take one. So the way I'm talking about rewards is about saying, set the thing up in such a way that it minimizes the desire to make excuses in the first place, and it gives you a plan to make this thing as rewarding as it possibly can be in its own right. So the thing becomes its own reward. Now, when you get good at things and they're already built into your routines, they become their own reward quite naturally, but in the stages where you're building up to that, you have to be clever about how you make it rewarding because you won't necessarily be good at it yet, it's not that enjoyable, and you might be giving up something else you do find enjoyable to make space for this new thing. So when we go back and look at that quote, if you really want to do something, you'll find a way. Finding a way means making it as enjoyable as you can for itself, making the task its own reward. And then you set it up that way. We're going to look at four ways you can do that. The first is to stretch your comfort zone gradually. Our logical mind, the rider, is quite buzzed by novelty. But our subconscious, the elephant, is not. It likes status quo. It likes what it knows. It likes to keep us safe. So when you do things that push you out of your comfort zone, the elephant is on high alert. It wants to pull you back. So for the elephant to feel rewarded when you're stretching a comfort zone, there has to be a little sense of a win. And creating that feeling is done with small steps. So if you haven't exercised for a year, going to the gym for an hour is probably not going to feel like a win. There are going to be lots of ways that you come away from that thinking, oh God, I'm never going to get there. Going straight in and joining a body attack class or a spin class, which are quite intense aerobic workouts, might also feel more like a failure than a success. So you create a pain barrier. Of course, that depends on how you apply meaning. For me, I always start with classes because I can't get out of them. So I can't back out halfway through because I'm tired. And although when I first started going to classes like that, I couldn't do the whole thing, it still felt like a win. So I'm not suggesting not starting with those things. What I'm suggesting is to really think about what those steps would be for you so that you can stretch your comfort zone gradually and still experience a win. So when you start anything new, what you want to think about is how do I reduce the pain the elephant will experience as my comfort zone stretches? What are the steps I can take that as I take each one, I can sort of mentally high five myself going, yes, I did it. That's brilliant. I feel like I won. So if a 15 minute walk won't do that for you because you kind of go, oh, yeah, well, that's not great, is it? That doesn't give you the sense of win, but maybe... Being out for 15 minutes, 10 of which you walk and 5 of which you run, or 14 minutes walking and 1 minute running, who cares? Anything that makes you go, I won. I did that and I couldn't do it yesterday. Creates that sense of comfort zone stretching. And when you're conscious that that is in fact what you're doing, you pay attention to those little wins. And that's really important. We already know from those early episodes about beliefs that there is no meaning except the meaning we ascribe to things. So if one minute walking feels to you like a failure, then you're going to feel like a failure. And if it feels to you like a success, you're going to feel like a success. It's not about the one minute running. It's about how you interpret it. So when you think about stretching your comfort zone, you want to plug in the win. 
in whatever way you can, in whatever way works for you, but something you know you're going to win at. And that's all you have to do in order for you to feel that sense of achievement and that sense of accomplishment that comes with stretching out of your comfort zone. You might even challenge yourself to find the smallest possible step you can take. In his book, Mini Habits, Stephen Guise talks about doing one push-up or one squat or one lunge, that that's all you task yourself with doing. So you remove the pain barrier completely and you guarantee a win. The idea with mini habits is that once you're moving, it's actually easier to keep the momentum going. So all you have to do is get moving and doing that can be done more easily if you task yourself with something really small. The next way to build rewards in is to make the thing as convenient as possible. So in the workout example, if you've got to move a whole load of stuff to fit the workout in, how do you do that in such a way that you keep the parts of your morning routine that you like the most? That you make sure you don't add any stress to your morning routine and in fact make it as pleasurable as you possibly can. How would you fit your workout in under those conditions? So again, coming back to that quote, those who want to do it find a way. It's absolutely possible to find a way by shoehorning that workout into your morning and pushing everything else out of the way, but that's not as enjoyable. It's also possible to find a way so that it fits into your morning in such a way that it feels like it adds something. Your morning gets better as a result of having that workout. How would that plan look different? That's the second way you can make it rewarding. The third way is to link it to something you already enjoy. So if you're starting a new habit, how can you link it to things you already love doing? If we stick with the exercise example, maybe you love the outdoors. So the gym isn't the best place for you because actually being outside might thrill you much more and keep you much more motivated. Even if the goal is to stop an old habit, you can still employ this technique. So let's say the old habit that you want to break is that you're spending too much time on social media, you're using your mobile phone or your iPad or something like that before bed, and it's affecting your sleep patterns. So you've decided to stop doing that. But we know from previous episodes in this series that habits have three ingredients. They have a cue, a routine, and a reward. So when you're stopping a habit, you're stopping the routine, but the cue is still there, the trigger is still there. And unless you run the routine, you won't experience the reward. And of course, we know the elephant wants the reward. So you have to put a new routine in the place of the old one. In this case, if you just said, okay, I'm not going to touch my phone for two hours before I go to bed, you'd be kind of itchy and scratchy because whatever the reward is that you get from using your phone won't happen. So let's say the reward you get from it is that it feels quite relaxing for you. It feels like you time. You decide you're going to replace the technology habit with meditation. But of course, you've never done meditation before, so it kind of feels clunky and it's not actually that rewarding doing it. So that hankering for wanting to pick up your phone is still there. You've kind of got that twitch. This is where you can hook it to things you already enjoy. You can make this as pleasurable an experience in its own right as possible. So let's say you love scented candles or you love particular types of music or you have a favorite piece of art that you love looking at. Combining your meditation with those things will automatically make it more pleasurable. Wearing clothes you absolutely love the feel of can make it more pleasurable. You keep those clothes only for the meditation. So again, it becomes something the elephant says, oh, yay, I'm going to do that now. I love how this feels. Anything you can do that makes the activity itself rewarding, no matter how small it is, all of those things get stored by the elephant and all of those things create associations. So the more associations you build between the habit and pleasure, the more likely it is to stick. And the more associations you build between the habit and pain, the less likely it is to stick. 
Which brings me to the final way to make your new habit or your habit change as rewarding as possible. And that is quite simply task yourself with that question. How do I make this as rewarding as possible? Or how do I enjoy this as much as possible? Whatever question will allow you to engage your mind in finding a way for you to love doing this thing. The brain is very good at answering the questions you ask it. So when you ask these types of questions, usually you'll come up with something pretty good that you can then use to keep yourself motivated, to keep yourself on point. So those are the four ideas for making new habits rewarding. Number one, stretch your comfort zone gradually. Give yourself the win every single time you do it. Number two, link it to something you already enjoy so that you create pleasure in the experience of doing the thing just for its own sake. Number three, make it as convenient as possible. The more stuff you have to push around in your life and the more stress you cause, the more pain barriers you create. And the more pain barriers you have, the less likely you are to stick with the new habit. So come up with a plan that makes it convenient. And finally, ask yourself, how can I enjoy this as much as possible? Or some other version of that question that tasks your mind with making it a pleasure to do the thing you want to do. If you're listening to this thinking, yeah, there's no way for me to make this convenient and feel like a win. It's just something I have to push through. Then I'd suggest testing the beliefs and assumptions that have led you to think that. In my work with coaching clients, very often once they can uncover the patterns in their thinking, it opens up a whole new world of possibilities. So it's really important to test your thinking and push yourself to test the barriers you assume are in place. See what happens and see whether that gives you any new information to work with. Of course, no matter how good your plans and no matter how much pleasure you build in, there will be times when you have a slip and you stop doing the new habit or you revert back to the old habit. So it's important to have a strategy for that as well. And mine is a simple one. Acceptance. When we feel accepted, we open up and we share information. And when you've had a slip, the most important thing to gather is information. What caused you to make the choice you made? Was the elephant in search of a reward? Was it trying to avoid pain? Was there any kind of fear there? What was going on? Knowing the answers to these questions will help you in terms of understanding the habit loops that are already running. What cues were you responding to? What rewards were you in search of? With that information, you can shape your next run at this habit much more successfully. But when you judge yourself harshly, what ends up happening is you don't delve into those things in enough detail, so you don't get any good data to work with. It just feels like, oh, I failed. I've just got no willpower. I can't do this. I spent years that way, and it was only when I started to deconstruct the cue, routine, and reward that I started to go, oh, there's a whole lot of stuff I'm just reacting to that I didn't even know I was reacting to. I didn't even know the patterns that were built into my subconscious. And when I stop and look at all the stuff, I start going, if I take this out, if I move that, if I stop this, all of these things take care of themselves. And suddenly, taking charge of my habits is becoming so much easier. But in order to do that, I first had to accept that something was going on and I needed to investigate it. In her book, The Willpower Instinct, Kelly McGonigal, PhD, talks about this very strategy. She talks about forgiving yourself and learning from it. She cites studies that show that the more guilty we feel, the more likely we are to repeat the behavior that made us feel guilty in the first place, which seems counterintuitive. And most people think, you know, if I'm really hard on myself, I will do much better in the future. But the research she cites suggests that the opposite is true. The more compassion we show ourselves and the more acceptance we show ourselves, the better we seem to do. And I think this has something to do with the topic I spoke about last week, which is identity and habits. I think when we're really hard on ourselves, we break our identities in our own minds. We see ourselves as weak, lacking willpower, 
unable to do the thing we wanted to do. And that tells us we should give up. Whereas when we see ourselves as being strong and capable and in charge of our habits, and we look at these blips as puzzles to solve, I think we shape our identities in much more positive ways. And that makes us much more capable of doing the thing we want to do next time. But it is important to recognize that this part has two elements. There's acceptance and learning from what happened. It's not just a case of going, oh, well, never mind. I'll do better next time because you haven't uncovered what happened the first time. So this is about saying, let's put down the sticks and stop beating ourselves. But it's also about saying, let's really delve into what happened and work out why it happened so that we have a better plan next time. With each improvement to the plan, we increase our odds of success and then we have another win, we have another little bolt on our identity that makes us feel stronger, that makes us feel more capable, that proves to us that we can trust ourselves and all of those things create this kind of snowball effect that I've spoken about before. And ultimately over time, we end up in a far better place emotionally, mentally, physically, because even our setbacks don't send us backwards. They hold us still for a moment and then we carry on moving forwards. That's it for this week's episode. If you're starting a new habit, think about how you can make it as rewarding as possible using those four ideas, stretch your comfort zone gradually, link it with something you already enjoy, make it as convenient as possible, and ask yourself, how can I enjoy this as much as possible? If you have a slip, use it as a chance to investigate what was the cue you were reacting to and what was the reward you were seeking. And then use that information to power forward for the next thing. Next week, we're going to be looking at moral licensing and willpower, two really, really interesting topics. I hope you'll join me then. But for this week, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.